This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. Thank you so very much for tuning in to watch today. You may be watching for the first time today. Let me in, uh, welcome you uh, as a viewer of Getting to Know Your Bible. Recently, at the Somerdale Church of Christ in Somerdale, Alabama, where I'm one of the members, uh, we had a planning session for, for the year, and the women met and they gave some ideas about some things that they thought that would be good for the church, and one of the ideas that came out of the women's planning session was that we should have some classes on parenting. How to be a good parent. I, you know, I think that's something that's of a concern to all parents and maybe even grandparents as well. Well, I got to thinking about that. And it is important that we be good parents. And, and I got to thinking about this. How do you raise good children today? We want to talk about that. Rearing godly children in a godless world. Stay tuned. Now today on Getting to Know Your Bible, we're continuing to offer the free Bible correspondence course. We want you to have this course. It's free. And so in order that you might know more about the course and how you can have it absolutely free of charge, we're going to pause for just a moment. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580. Or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. In Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6, this is a passage that reads thus. Train up a child in the way should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. There was a man who went to speak at an institution one day. That building had just been constructed, brand new building. Institution that was to be used for the training of young boys. And as he made his speech, he made this statement. If all of the money that has been spent in building this building results in helping just one boy, it'd be worth it all. Well, after the uh, activity was over, someone came up to the speaker and said, weren't you exaggerating just a little bit? Well, weren't you exaggerating when you said that if all of the money that had been spent on that building just helped one boy, it would be worth it? And the speaker said it'd be worth it if it were my boy. You see, if there's one thing I believe that parents are concerned about, or at least should be concerned about, it's the welfare of their children. I really believe that the average Christian parent would rather have godly children 
than to have $10 million. And you know, the greatest resource that we have today in America is not in our forest, not in the streams of water, not in the mountains. Our greatest resource is is not in things that are buried beneath the earth, such as coal and the like. The, the, the greatest resource that we have in America, the greatest resource in any nation of the world, is in our children. That's our greatest resource. How much do we really know about our children? But we know about other things. A man could tell you all about the stock market. A, a woman might tell you all about the activities that she has during the week. But what do we really know about our children? Do we really know them? There was a man that was a guest in a, the home of a farmer. And they're sitting on the front porch on this afternoon and sitting there in the rocking chair. I just have a mental picture of that, sitting on the big, long front, front porch in a rocking chair. Some boy comes driving up in a, a car, and his, the farmer's daughter comes running down the steps. She jumps in the car, and they speed away. And the man says, uh, who, who was that young man that your daughter just left with? He said, I have no idea. She goes off to someone else every time. Here was a man who told his guest everything about his cows. He knew how many he had. He knew how many calves that he had. He told him all about his farming equipment, how much all of it cost. He told him about all of the crops that he was going to be growing that year and, and what he had hoped that he would make off of those crops. There wasn't anything about his farm that he did not know. But he knew absolutely nothing about his daughter and the friends with whom she associated. You see, we must know about our children. How are we going to rear godly children today? We live in a world that's not a good world in, in so many respects. How are we going to do that? Is it possible to rear godly children, children that fear God, love God, serve God, in a world where it is not popular to fear God, not popular to believe the Bible, not popular to call yourself a Christian? Is it possible to do that? Well, there's a story in the Old Testament that I think so, uh, can help us to understand that it is possible to rear, rear godly children in a godless world. And that takes us back to the Old Testament, to the book of 1 Samuel, and the story about Hannah and her son Samuel. Now, Samuel was a godly man. As a matter of fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 6, he is referred to as being a man of God. And if he was a man of God, he was a godly man, a God-fearing man. But how was it that Hannah reared her son to be a man of God? Well, I'll tell you, first of all, it wasn't without, without its obstacles. There were a lot of things in the way of rearing her son to be such a godly young man. 
One of the obstacles that was in the way was the depraved society in which they lived. They were living in a time when men did what was right in their own eyes. According to Judges chapter 21 verse 25. But in spite of the fact that people were doing what was right in their own eyes making up their own rules as they would go along, she was able to rear Samuel to be a man of God. Another obstacle that stood in her way was a divided home. You see, there, her husband, Elkanah, had one fault. He had another wife. Her name was Penina. Penina had children, and, and Hannah, Hannah had no child. And Penina caused Hannah to fret. There, there was friction, tension between Penina and Hannah. But in spite of the fact that there was this friction in the home, Hannah was able to rear her son to be a godly man. Another obstacle that stood in the way was the fact that there was a defiled priesthood. Now, eventually, Samuel came to live with Eli. Eli had sons. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 13, it is said, Eli's sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. They, they were not good boys. They had defiled themselves. There were several things they did that were wrong. First of all, uh, they... They were guilty of, of ignorance. In 1 Samuel 2, 12, it says they knew not the Lord. Back in Judges 2 and 10, it says there arose a generation that knew not the Lord. So his boys knew not the Lord. Number two, they were guilty of sacrilege. In 1 Samuel 2, 17, it says they abhorred the offering of the Lord. They abhorred it. They were also guilty of immorality. In 1 Samuel 2 and verse 22, we're told that they lay with the women at the gate of the tabernacle. And so they were guilty of, of sexual sin. And then they were guilty of having a, a poor example and having a, setting an evil example before the other people. For in 1 Samuel 2, 24, it says they made Israel to sin. Maybe people started reasoning like this. Now, if the sons of Eli can do these things, well, why can't I do those things and get away with it? But another thing that they were guilty of is they were, they were guilty of parental disobedience. In 1 Samuel 2, 25, it says they hearkened not to the voice of their father. They just wouldn't listen to their father, Eli. But in spite of the fact that there was a defiled priesthood, Hannah was still able to raise her son to be a godly man. How did she do it? Number one, she set the right example. She set a godly example for him to follow. Now, I believe that godly example is illustrated by her prayer life. In, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1, it opens with these words, And Hannah prayed. Hannah was a praying woman. Most likely, when you think of Hannah, you think of her not as the wife of Elkanah, but you think of Hannah as a woman of prayer. And indeed she was. And in that, in, in that case, she would have emphasized the importance of prayer to her son. 
because he came to her and was born to her in answer to the prayer that she prayed for him. I don't believe there's a way that we can overemphasize the power of the example, the godly example, that a parent can uh, have over their children. I just don't think there's a way to do it. Children are born imitators. They imitate everything that they see you do. Uh, there was a child that watched uh, her, her mother as her mother entertained her friends uh, at a card party in their home. And, and this child observed their, their mother had really dressed up and all the ladies were dressed up and they were playing cards, they were smoking cigarettes and they were drinking their martinis and they were just having a big time. And after the party was over, the child decided she'd have her own party so she sat down at the card table and she found her mother's cigarettes and in trying to light one of those cigarettes after having put on her mother's oversized dress, she caught that dress on fire. She was burned severely. And the child was rushed to the hospital and the mother came in the room where the child was. And this is what the little girl said. Mama, I did just like you. But I think it's going to kill me. Our children do what they see parents do. You see, the way that Hannah was able to rear a child to be referred to in 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 6 as a man of God she set the example. It, it, good people, if we want our children to really believe in God and to love God with all their heart, soul, and mind, they've got to see that mother and daddy love God and how much they love God. And they illustrate in their lives that they do love God. Here's the way we know if you love God. This is the love of God, 1 John 5 and 3, that we keep His commandments. When you do what God tells you to do, that's illustrating that in your life, hey, I really love God. I want to do what God wants me to do. And the reason I want to do it is because I love Him. You want your children to love God, they've got to see that you love God. If you want your children to attend worship, they've got to see you attend worship. If you want your children to read the Bible, they've got to see you read the Bible. If you want your children to pray, they have to see that you value the importance of prayer in your life. Set the example. Set the example. Another thing that Hannah did to rear a man of God is she built a strong marriage. Now, as I mentioned earlier, she, she had a husband. His name was Elkanah. And we're told in 1 Samuel 1 and verse 5 that he loved Hannah. In verse 8, he said to her, Am I not better to you than ten sons? She was without a child, and he said, well, if you had ten boys, they, they couldn't be any better to you than if you had ten children. And he had a great deal of love for his wife. There was a special love they had. Husbands, of course, are to love their wives. That's what the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Well, if a husband loves his wife like Jesus loved the church, just what kind of love do you suppose that would be? Well, it would be a sacrificial love because Jesus sacrificed himself for the church. And men must be willing to sacrifice 
for their wives, their time. And, and, and I think if there's one thing that wives possibly want out of their husbands more than any other thing, it's his tension and time, quality time with their husbands. And the love that Christ had for the church was a pure love. And husbands are to have a pure love for their wives. That means you keep yourself to her and to her alone. You see, ha Hannah and Elkanah had a strong marriage. And if you want, to, if, if our children see that we love each other, if mother and daddy love each other, really love each other, and they show that in the home, then it's not very difficult for children to understand and to believe with all of their heart that mother and daddy love them. But you see, one of the reasons that some children get confused is because they can see that mother and daddy are not getting along very much. Maybe they're fussing a lot right in the presence of their children. And it's no wonder that some of those children began to have feelings of inadequacy and they began to get distant to their father and to their mother. Please listen. It is important for our children to know that daddy loves mother and mother loves daddy because then they know that mother and daddy love them. A third thing that Hannah did in, in rearing a godly son as she made most of the early years, you see, after Samuel was born, she had him at home until the time that he was weaned. And then she took him up to Eli, and he lived with Eli, who was a priest. She didn't have much time. She just had a short period of time. I have read in one place that they had between three to five years in that period of time. I do not know how old he was when he went to live with Eli. But she had a short period of time. And the fact is, we have such little time with our children. We need to make the most of the time that we have. And I can speak to you from experience because my children are grown and... and uh, they're on their own, and it just seems like yesterday that they were just small children. They grow up so fast and get out on their own so quickly. You don't have much time. You need to redeem the time. And the, and the Bible teaches that we have a responsibility for the moral, the ethical, and the spiritual training of our children. We don't have a lot of time. Moses told Israel, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. And the words which I commanded you this day shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently unto your children. Teach this to your children. And we need to teach our children about God. We need to teach our children to love God. We need to teach our children the Word of God. The Word of God needs to be in the minds and the hearts of our children. You see, Hannah did that. She, she made most of those early years. Have you ever poured concrete? 
Uh, I, I've been where you'd pour a slab, you know, for a home, maybe a sidewalk. I, I've seen this with sidewalks especially. Someone pours a sidewalk. And so they have one of the children to come out there and they put their palm print down in that concrete. And maybe with their finger, with a stick or something, they, they write the date in the concrete. Now, if you were to do that today, while that concrete is still soft and pliable and, as they call it, green, you come back tomorrow or two days later, and you take that child and you try to put another palm print in that concrete. It'd be impossible. And the reason is that the concrete has now set up and it's hardened. Now here's the point I'm trying to make. The time to make impressions on our children is when they're small, when their hearts are tender and pliable and impressionable. And that's the time that we need to make the most of our time. If we wait until they become teenagers, the dice cast. If we wait until they begin 15 or 20 years old, the concrete as it were, the concrete of their heart for the most part has set up and it's more difficult to make impressions upon them. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. You see, we have a responsibility to bring those children up right. Make the most of the time that you have. Somebody says, well, Brother Lambert, my, uh, I don't go to church right now because you know, I've got a three-year-old, and I've got a five-year-old, and I've got an eight-year-old. You have wasted so much time. You're wasting so much time. The time to start is yesterday in rearing your children to serve God and to believe in God and to form that foundation in their life to be God-fearing in a godless world. Something else that Hannah did that she taught her son the value of prayer. And she taught him the value of prayer by showing him prayer in her own life. 1 Samuel 2, 1 says, and Hannah prayed. If there's anything we need to teach our children is the value of prayer. Uh, someone said that the more things are wrought by prayer than the world dreams of. I believe that was Tennyson. And so prayer is so powerful. And our children need to know how important prayer should be and can be and ought to be in their lives. Jesus said men ought always to pray. They ought to always pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. And our children need to learn how to pray from us. Some of you have taught your children to pray. And isn't it heart, very heartening when you hear a little child begin to pray, and maybe they, they, at the mealtime, you'll say, now would you like to say your prayer? And they'll thank God for the fork, and the spoon, and the knife, and the plate, and the peas, and the chicken leg, and the mashed potatoes, and on and on. They just thank God for every detail. 
you're teaching them the value of prayer. The value of prayer. And that will stick with them the rest of their life. And it will aid them as they get their own families. And then they in turn begin to teach their own children the value of prayer. Over and over we're taught how valuable prayer is. Jesus said, Whatsoever you shall not ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. In Matthew 7 and 7 he says, I ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. She taught her children, her son, to pray. Another thing that Hannah did to rear a godly son is she taught him to respond correctly to authority. Now there's not a particular passage that I think we could put our finger on that shows that, but by the way that he responded to Eli is indicative of the fact that he had been taught how to talk to and to respond to people that were in positions of authority. Our children learn to respect authority at home. And there is a great need in our world right now to teach our children to have respect for authority, to teach them to respect the authority in the office of the presidency and the vice presidency. Teach them to respect the authority in the office of the governor of the land, the council and the mayors of our cities and the policemen on the highways. Teach them to respect authority. And it begins by teaching them to respect the authority of God and to respect the authority of the father and the mother in the home. It just starts there, folks. And Hannah taught that. But she also showed a joyful spirit. Uh, she, she showed a joyful spirit in, fight of the, in spite of the fact that this was, there was this tension between her and Penina. Hannah reared a godly son, so can you. You've got to be a Christian to have a Christian home. And if you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to become one by believing on Christ by repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in Christ, by being baptized into Christ. For this reason, Jesus said it best, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Mark 16, 16. I want to thank you for watching today. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you is my prayer. We want to help you as much as possible in your search for a personal relationship with God. You can now easily access our free Bible correspondence course online at gettingtoknowyourbible.com. If there's any way we can help you grow closer to God, please email us at knowyourbible at golftel.com or call us anytime at 1-877-711-5214. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, 
or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama 36580, or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible.